Hello, Foibles listeners. This is Rita. Wanted to start out this uh, graphic novels podcast. I wanted to give a shout out to Cynthia. She's a loyal Foibles listener and she sent us a lovely email. And I knew immediately that this woman is one of our people. Yes. She says in her email that she's been doing some quarantine movie watching. And she said that uh, her most recent binges were they rewatched all six of the Thin Man films. We adore Thin Man. Excellent comedy. Excellent, excellent, wonderful comedy. And I had a Betty Davis marathon, including Now Voyager and Dead Ringer. Two Top favorites. Two. Top yeah. two. Well, uh, just FYI, Now Voyager stars Betty Davis, obviously, and Paul Henreid, who uh, played Victor Laszlo in Casablanca. He's one of my very favorite actors, and it's a fantastic film. But the one that really got me was Dead Ringer. Because hardly anybody knows about that film. It's an early sort of independent film produced by Betty Davis during her time when she'd gotten older. She really couldn't get roles anymore. She didn't have a contract with the studio. So she went out and she produced this film. And it's a great little independent film. And, interestingly, directed by Paul Henreid. Oh, wow. Yeah. They continue to collaborate. Oh, That's yes, neat. absolutely. And then uh, finally, it sounds like she's going to be moving on to a night of MGM musicals. So thanks, Cynthia. That was a great email. It was wonderful to hear from you. And if you'd like to send us an email telling us, you know, anything you'd like, particularly maybe what you're watching and reading during this quarantine period, you can reach us at foiblespodcast at gmail.com. Welcome to Foibles, where my mom and I record conversations we have anyway. I'm Zoe. I'm Zoe's mom. Oh yeah, that's right. I have a name. It's Rita. <laughs> well, hello and welcome to Foibles, everybody. This is Rita and Zoe. It has been a long time since uh, Zoe and I actually did a recording for a podcast because we have such a backlog. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think we've got six or seven months worth of material that's not even out yet. Yeah. So this will be a long time in coming too. Yeah, well, the uh, bottleneck is the editing process because Zoe is quite a perfectionist and wants to make sure that everything sounds really great for you guys. And uh, I appreciate it a lot. I appreciate her hard work. On one hand, it's nice to uh, edit something sooner to when we've recorded it because then I remember kind of what we said and what the shape of it was and that can make it easier to have that foresight. But it's also nice to have a lot of distance because then it's more interesting and I don't really remember what we talked about. So Yeah, that is interesting because right now as we're recording, we are at the uh, third episode of the um, Subversive Blondes one. So you'll you'll be able to judge the, the span of time by that temporal indicator there. But anyway, today we are actually not going to talk about movies. We are going to talk books. And one of the reasons that we don't do as many book episodes is that, again, it's a time thing. Um, Zoe, in particular, has a very packed schedule. So reading a series of books or even reading one book can be challenging to fit yeah, into Yeah, the Whimsy schedule. novels took like two years to finish, something <laughs> like that. Yeah, exactly. So long time in the making. And this one is, too, in a way, uh, we're going to talk today about about graphic novels and Zoe is really much more the expert than I am in this particular topic so I'll be relying on her a lot. I didn't get into graphic novels until a few maybe five or six years ago because I had a rather snobby attitude toward them because they they appeared well into my adulthood and so of course I was sort of mired in the past and it takes a while to kind of break yourself free and embrace something new and when I was a kid, we had comics, you know, Archie and Superman. And I mean, I read comic books and I liked them, but they were lowbrow. They were, you know, disposable kind of stuff. That's how they were seen. And as a child, I picked up that attitude. And then, of course, books were sacred. You never, you don't dog ear the edge of a book. You don't write in a book. You don't, you know, books had a sacredness to them. And it's taken me a while to kind of pull myself out of that and you helped me a lot Zoe helped me a lot with that because she born in can we say what year you were born in is that okay yeah of course 1993 so she you're a millennial right Mm -hmm. and as a millennial she really came in I think uh into awareness really at the peak of uh, when the anime um yeah world started to happen so I'll give you a couple definitions to start I want to see what exactly is a graphic novel it's really really loose definition according to Merriam-Webster, the graphic novel is a story 
that is presented in comic strip format and published as a book. <laughs> now, what would you say anime is? Anime is a subset of that. Yeah. Um, I mean, anime... Well, so anime... Manga. Yeah. Yeah. We would talk about manga because anime is just animation. Okay. Um, manga. Visual animation, TV stuff. Manga is uh, inherently... Jap- it's Japanese and it has maybe certain like loose characteristics that people would define as like stylistic elements that make it manga. But I think ultimately it's just Japanese comics. Yeah, right. um, <laughs> And uh, that, that was definitely my first, I, I mean, I think I might've read Garfield or Tintin. My dad had a couple of collections, Asterix. But aside from those three, manga was the first thing I read. I think you got me interested through Pokemon and Sailor Moon that I got to watch as a kid. And then I wanted a subscription to Shonen Jump, which is yeah, I remember. Yep. a serialized uh, publication that they started doing in the U.S. as well that has sort of rotating uh, collections of chapters of ongoing series. Right. And Shonen Jump, Zoe, uh, did have that. And you read it. Uh, you read it all. And they were. it was a substantial publication. So for um, uh, listeners who aren't familiar with this stuff, we will put in the titles of we'll put Sailor Moon and put, put anything that we mention in there so that people can reference it. Because these are all things that we like quite a bit. I mean, even I got a kick out of Sailor Moon. Yeah, totally. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, the, the, the names of the characters and the things they say are, are so funny. They're so whimsical. <laughs> <laughs> Even the English translations of them, yeah. Well, yeah, the English translations, I think that must be it. I mean, Pretty Coquettish Bomber. <laughs> the name of an attack in Sailor Moon. I know yeah. you've, you've referenced that for like decades I now. know. I love to say it. <laughs> we will put these things in the show notes uh, so that if you want to dig in a little bit more or, or see some of these things, uh, you'll be able to do it. So Shonen Jump is one because right. that's a weird you know, title to my ears. So I wouldn't be able to pick up exactly what it was easily. Right. Yeah. Shonen Jump. It's the, they started publishing a shoujo version. So Shonen is boys comics. Shoujo is girls comics. Oh. Um, and so Shonen, again, it's kind of like a loose category, but it tends to be like fighting oriented or I don't know, whatever they deem as, as boys stuff. <laughs> Okay, well, we don't abide by that. No. So, all right. Well, then, um, that's really kind of my history. As I started, Zoe's interest in it uh, made me say, "Well, okay, maybe I should look into it." I'm not that interested in manga. I've read a few of the things that you have recommended to me, and the artistry is beautiful in a lot of it, at least in a particular vein. Not so much the Sailor Moonish uh, Pokemon thing, which is much more cartoony aesthetically. But there's some very, very beautiful works out there, and I'm sure you will address those later. But I wasn't pulled into the stories or the characters as much. Um, I tend to like the more Western type graphic novels, and I do have a list of things. And the one thing that I I found when I was going through my list, the ones that I'm drawn to are are usually biographical. The majority of the graphic novels on my list are biographies or memoir type of graphic novels. This is pretty interesting. I think that is interesting. Is it... do you see a thread through those that you can pull out? I don't know. Maybe they're more grounded. And that might, you know, in reality, maybe that's it. I mean, they're fairly fanciful too, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know exactly what it is. Part of it is also the art styles, is I like a certain kind of style. I like something that's detailed. Although I like mouse a lot, and mouse isn't all that detailed, so maybe not. Maybe I, I guess I can't come up with a thread. Sorry. That's okay. <laughs> in, in contrast to my favorites, um, a lot of them are going to be Japanese, but I tend to veer towards the really fantastical stuff. Like I love graphic novels that are sci-fi or fantasy and or weird, quirky, imaginary sort of settings and um, super urban and, and stuff like that. I tend towards that. So really, I think this episode is not going to be so much like our other ones where there's a lot of research or we're going to be talking too much about themes. I don't think so anyway. We'll, we'll see what happens. But it was really going to be us just kind of listing graphic novels that we like and we recommend to you and, and suggest that you might want to look into. And, and if there are any asides or interesting points, we'll certainly make them. But I think we'll just kind of dive into it and uh, I'll let you get started, Zoe. Okay. Um, as we were talking, I just remembered one that I was like, oh yeah, 
I forgot to put it on my list, but it has to be on there. Um, so I'll start with that one because it is not a Japanese uh, graphic novel, and it's written by someone who's pretty local. I think he lives over in Portland, and I've actually met him at like comics convention or graphic novel convention that we've had here. Um, so the book was recommended to me. Why don't you say the title? By someone. It's called Capacity. I just, I was like pulling it out of my brain. <laughs> like it was a quiz, quiz question. Uh, it's called Capacity by Theo Ellsworth. Uh, speaking of like super detailed, but super fantastical drawings and everything. It's really like weird creatures, spiraling towers, like all crowded into a page. Um, and I think one thing that I like so much about this one is that it is his imagination spins out, but it does this amazing job of being really meta. So he both plays with the form of a graphic novel or the idea of a graphic novel, as well as tying it into um, themes in his life. And so it really is autobiographical in the sense that he's also telling the story of like how he struggled when he was kind of in poverty, trying to get published and trying to even come up with the like personal confidence and strength to like write a graphic novel. Oh, let me interrupt. I'm sorry. I do want to let the listeners know. I want you guys to know that this is not going to be one of our spoiler episodes. So we're not going to be spoiling any of the plots of the graphic novels. We'll give you themes and general uh, impressions and so forth but and why we like them. But we won't be doing a spoilery episode here. Okay, sorry. Cool. Just wanted to let them know. They don't have to worry. <laughs> um, and he does stuff in this graphic novel in capacity like... Like, you'll be reading, and then he'll be like, let's go to the magic castle. But stop. First, imagine that in your head, like, there's a house, and uh, there's some creature, and he hands you a piece. And so he, like, makes you do stuff in your own head that takes you off the page. So it's con- it's conceptual. It's conceptual, and it's meta. And I really like that one, and I felt like there, w- there was this emotional thread in there that he really got to using child sort of like childishness and playfulness as a way to like be vulnerable basically mm. and also these are not in order like we're not saying this is my favorite and going down the list it's just however we ended up telling you about them so what's your next one? Oh, you want me to keep going yeah the next one i wrote down was a japanese author who i really love who's like i love all of her work this work is called solanin s-o-l-a-n-i-n by inio asano um and it's a story about a girl who's, and this is not really a spoiler because it happens pretty much right away. Her boyfriend dies and her boyfriend was in a band. And so she's struggling with grief and, and she starts learning how to play guitar and play in the band in order to deal with that. Um, and it's really slice of life, not super fantastical at all. But I like the way that Inio Asano draws interesting faces and working class people's lives and it's really like tender and emotional i read this one this is one you recommended to me and i read it and again this is exactly what i'm talking about it is such a beautiful it's black and white line drawings so beautiful such like little details will be shown in a picture like it'll just be a frame with like a little tattered piece of plastic bag hanging on the edge of a wire or something and and you can tell that it's flapping in the breeze and then a vista down a street, an empty street. And then, so it's very, very beautiful and contemplative. And I liked it, but I was not drawn to it in a way that, I, oh, I want to see more of this. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't painful to, to read at all. I mean, I, I really, really appreciated the artistry of it. Yeah, I think that's one element that I'm drawn to in comics a lot are those moments like you just described, those sort of empty or, or sort of like um, spare, like symbolic, mm-hmm. atmospheric well, frames. They, and they are empty in a way. They're empty of action and in a way content so that it allows you to expand. You end up filling the space with your own thoughts and feelings and so forth rather than always kind of giving, 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 giving it to you and giving you input all the time. Right. Uh, Yeah. And that's how I felt when I was reading it. So my next one is Beautiful Darkness by uh, Fabian Vellman. I might have had you read this one. It looks like a storybook. It's very thin and the size of the book is pretty large. And it's a fairy tale, essentially. It's super cute, super pretty. It's watercolors in color, but it's it's very dark, it turns out, and sort of like grotesque things start happening to these characters, and it ends up in this kind of gritty spot. I, I don't know. I really loved that one. It transported me, and the artwork was just so beautiful. I guess I don't have a ton more to say about that one. You should read it. It's the the uh, subtle turns it starts taking really like make you kind of feel uneasy. And I appreciated that contrast. 
Okay, my next one is, um, and I am kind of working my way up here to my, I would say probably my top, these are my top two favorite graphic novels overall. Um, so the first one is uh, horror, and I've talked about this one before on the What Should I Read Next podcast. I think I brought it as one of my books. It's Uzumaki by Junji Ito, and re really don't read it if you're disturbed by graphic body horror images, because most of his horror is both like unsettling kind of long buildups, but then the, the payoff is really like some really grotesque image. What I like about this one is it starts out kind of a series of one shots about like weird things that are happening in this town. And then it kind of builds to this existential swirling mess at the end. I felt like he really hit on that tender point of horror where you're not even really sure what you're afraid of because it's so nebulous, but it's really potent. I, yeah, I love that art style and everything. I think you might actually like this one if you decide you want to look at that kind of I've gotten hard art. I've gotten hardened over time, so I'll, I'll, I'll consider it. <laughs> or maybe just take a peek at it just mm -hmm. to see some of the images and stuff. I think he's, he's really, like, considered the, I don't know, the god of Japanese horror manga. And I guess I'll go on to my last one, which is uh, Tekong King Crete, which is also a pretty famous, well-known one. It was written by Tayo Matsumoto, and there's a film version of it, anime film version of it. And I had a hard time choosing which title of his I like the best. At one point, I would say that Go Go Monster was my favorite, but I think Taekwon Can Greed is really like the classic. Most of his stories are about two boys and their relationship, whether it's friendship or brotherhood. And uh, he, he has that great aesthetic of sort of urban, semi-retro-futuristic like look, and all the panels are really crowded with interesting things to look at. And I don't know, I love his storytelling. I think his like relationships between his characters are pretty delicate and pretty poignant. And uh, he also writes about, like, in the city, he touches, even though it's a story told from the point of view of, like, two young boys, he touches on, like, themes of gentrification of cities and how that changes for things for its residents and nostalgia and it's definitely it's like not a childish story that was one where you know you get to the end and you're like oh this is deep oh this is a deep story it's got a great ending good payoff so i recommend also uh child's life by phoebe gluckner which is going to be that's my diversity of material uh it's very different from like one of the beautiful like poignant ones that I've recommended. Phoebe Gluckner is a scientific il illustrator, so you can really see that she can do these amazing, intricate, super precise drawings. But her drawing style that she chooses is more like an R. Crumb kind of grotesque mm. um, view of people, which reflects the content, which is a lot about sexual abuse. Um, and so that's definitely don't read it if that's disturbing um, or triggering or anything. It's because it's pretty graphic. Um, and, and the think the way that she uses the grotesqueness it's really powerful because obviously she's an amazing illustrator and it really um it draws up all these visceral feelings right about um childhood sexual abuse and sort of uh, evokes a lot of darkness and she has humor about it too um so it both kind of like it distances you and gives you this visceral feeling but i really connected with her work for whatever reason she was one of the ones that they had us uh, as an assigned text in one of my college classes. And I think part of the reason why I really connected with her is because I wrote a paper about it and it was a very good paper and mm -hmm. got a good grade. So obviously I have good feelings about it. <laughs> and I think the paper was about, she also brings in like a, a lot of women, autobiographical graphic novelists, um, like Linda Berry too. Something I noticed incorporate kind of these like feminine handcraft elements into the graphic novel. So like Phoebe Gluckner does all these sort of quilted backgrounds and Linda Berry does something kind of similar. That's what my essay was about. But yeah, I think that's a really, really good one to read if you really want to feel like, I don't know. I don't know when it would be a good one to read, but it's, it's dark and it's powerful. Well, in my list, I sort of divided it up. First of all, my list is Western. Um, that's my taste and that's just what I've read. But I realized that there are three that I consider, at least of the group that I've read, that are going to be on every list. I went ahead and set them aside and going, okay, these are a given. These are always going to be on the list. And the first is one of the earliest graphic novels, and one of the most still most potent is Mouse by Art Spiegelman. 
And it uh, basically was actually kind of a comic strip that was serialized from 1980 to 1991, which is a pretty long gap there, 11 years. And it really, it's a memoir for himself, who's a child of Holocaust survivors, and it combines episodes of historical events that his father would actually have experienced and interspersed with, with scenes of him trying to relate to his father. And his father was an extremely difficult individual. A lot of it had to do with the experiences he had in his, his early life. I mean, he was very paranoid, he was scared, he was angry. He could not open his heart in a loving way to his son. And his son had to deal with him in his old age. And um, it's, it's very difficult. It also shows him trying to understand and, and know the story of his father's life and what happened to him. And it's called Mouse, M-A-U-S, which is German for mouse. It basically uses animals for all the characters. So each group of people is a different type of animal. And it's a very interesting conceit and it works extremely well in that if you were seeing a human face, it makes it more immediate in a way. And using the animals, it makes it more, uh, a little bit more metaphorical. And so it's easier to read the story because anything about the concentration camps and the attempted extermination of the Jewish people and the suffering that occurred there, who can read that and stay open? It's it, because it's so horrible that you want, you want to look away. You, you don't want to engage with it because of the pain. And by doing it all with animals, it becomes more like, like say, George Orwell's Animal Farm, where the animals take the place and the animalistic qualities reflect the statement of the author about who these people are intrinsically, what their characters are like, and so forth. So um, A Mouse is a fantastic book, a work of genius, in my opinion. And if you have any real interest in graphic novel form, you, you really need to, to read Mouse. Now, the drawing itself is not beautiful. It's fine. It's okay, and it's, a, you know, and, and it's effective, but it's not one that I find aesthetically beautiful. Would you, you haven't read Mouse, right? I have read Mouse. Actually, I've read everything on your list. Um, okay, all right. I pretty much read all of it while I was in school, like in graphic novel classes. Okay, um, well, there you go. Of course, because these are the classics. Right. So do you want to kick in there with any uh, comments? No, I, I agree with everything you said. And I, th- I do think the, um, the use of the, the animal faces really helps a lot. Like I know that Mouse is now being taught in public schools. Like um, I think... A different class than the one I took taught it in like high school or middle school. It's not enjoyable, but it's satisfying. Mm-hmm. It's deeply, deeply satisfying because you feel like you've really engaged with the issue, not just with the issues, but with this man, this particular man and his particular father. And so it's both universal and individual, which is really what makes it work. Um, and then another one, I know you've read this one, which I really enjoyed so much, is uh, Fun Home by Alison Bechdel. Um, she wrote another one. This one is about her and her father relationship. Allison is, what's the right word, queer, lesbian? And then her father ended up actually being gay, but closeted, maybe even unacknowledged by himself, possibly. And over time, she comes to realize who he is. And the story is compelling. She manages to really inject her own personal voice and her own individual experience in a way that is that just makes a memoir just sing. It's a beautiful, beautiful rendition of, of a story that is somewhat tragic, but I think ultimately a story of human survival and even of thriving, which she has been able to thrive in her life as a gay woman, uh, as an artist, and as somebody who has had tragedy in her life. And she is the, the supposed originator of the quote-unquote Bechdel test, which is very funny because she goes, I never intended it to be a test or a thing. It was just a comment she made. And then somebody picked up on it because it was so apt. And for, if anybody doesn't know what the Bechdel test, it's simply looking at a work of art, particularly a film uh, it's applied to, where there are two named women characters who talk about something other than a man. For like 30 seconds. For like 30 seconds. Like now, and it, it's actually kind of a fun little rubric to use. And, and it does 
make you think about it. It highlights, yeah, how how little representation or how little screen time yeah. female characters have historically gotten. So now everybody's talking about, oh, does that pass the Bechdel test? But of course, no two or three steps can ever really um, delineate whether a movie is feminist or not feminist. Anyway, uh, Fun Home came out in 2006. I really like the, um, the visual of it as well. It, I, I would say it's pretty clean. It's less cartoony. It moves away from that for sure. Yeah, it's definitely expressive, but mm-hmm. yeah. Um, so I, I really enjoyed that. And then the third one that I call this sort of the Pantheon. It's always going to be on the list, and you can't get away from it, and nor would you want to, is you say it because I can never say it right. Persepolis? Persepolis. <laughs> By uh, Marjane Satrapi, and this came out in 2000. And it, uh, it depicts her youth in Iran. Uh, she was a member of a well-to-do family in Iran who was doing very well. And this is pre-revolution, which is when the Shah was ruling. And the Shah had been put in place there by the United States. Horribly repressive, uh, tyrannical regime. And then the revolution happened, which brought in a different horribly repressive and tyrannical regime. And this particular regime decided that women had really no right as human beings and her parents sent her to Paris to live, to get away and get out of the country as a, as a young girl so she could continue her education. And so then it follows her life in, in France, the kinds of things she came up against where she had no money, actually. They weren't able to get money out of the country, and she never knew whether she was going to go back. Her grandmother would probably die before she got back, and there were very poignant stories about her family, but it's not just personal. It's very political. It is about female empowerment, female freedom, particularly freedom. There's a great image of her in a car with her hair blowing in the wind. She doesn't have to wear the hijab and her hair is flowing in the wind and she can make that choice. And uh, and let me just say, um, in terms of my Western point of view, I definitely don't agree with oppression, but I do know people who are uh, Muslim who choose to wear the hijab. Right. And I totally support their right to choose that. So anyway, I just wanted to say that. In uh, Yeah, and the artwork in this is it's line drawing. It's black and white. Uh, it's effective, but I didn't, I didn't find it particularly aesthetically moving. I, do, I think people have pointed out in it that, I mean, obviously it depicts humans and everything, but it does have a lot of echoes or tying in aesthetically to like Islamic geometry and sort of graphic right because um, they're not allowed to depict living form animals or humans in in their art really people point out the geometry i think she's got a lot of backgrounds or borders and things like that that are reminiscent oh yes 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 evocative of that yeah Uh, yeah, i agree now that you say that i remember that yeah so she really uh, uh straddles the personal and the political and there's a lot of political asides and statements and it's pretty clear what her point of view is. But I think, too, one thing that I appreciated about it is her depiction of herself. Um, and I think that's one of the good things about all the, the pieces that you chose. And one of the things that makes them good is that a good, you know, autobiography has some clarity to it and some, like, forthcomingness about, like, uh, being a complex human. And yes. so, like, in this one, you know, she's she grew up kind of privileged girl and she goes to Paris and she's kind of like, I want to be, like, a bad girl. And, like, not everything she does is, like, an extremely, like, noble choice. <laughs> um, some of it's petty. Some of it's, you know. Right. It's youthful rebellion, things that might be bratty. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, you, you always feel her striving, her soul. I did also want to mention about her before we move on to some other of my list is that she's also a filmmaker. She became a filmmaker and she did a film that I really, really enjoyed and I, I highly recommend. It's called Chicken with Plums, which is a kind of a weird title. It's a, a little bit magical realist, which not, maybe not a little bit, a, a fair amount, which is funny because you know I don't generally like any kind of magical realist stuff. I tend to skew away from that, but it's a really lovely film. It's about a, um, a violinist who's violin gets broken and he loses his will to live and he takes to his bed and then the things that happen around around that incident and it is live action so it's real people not it's not a graphic novel or a animation or anything like that so that is recommended to you guys i think you would like that we did stray off into movies there so let's get back to books because <laughs> we know we have a lot of book people listening so we're going to talk about the next one the one 
that you read most recently. I made I made Zoe read this. Uh, it's a series of they're like eight or ten collections of these books, and I I love this. Yeah, uh, it, I loved it too. It's called Trans Metropolitan by Warren Ellis and Derek Robertson. And it's a series of uh, comics that came out from 1997 to 2002. And they're now collected. And we were able to get our copies at the library. And it is raunchy and raw. So you gotta, you got to be okay with swearing and bodily functions and all kinds of stuff like that. And it's very political. And it's definitely R-rated. Mm-hmm. So it's, this is not for younger readers, you know. I would say, what, 16 and above, maybe 15, and, depending on the maturity level. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it has fantastic, it's very, it is cartoonish. It does have, it's in color. It's cartoonish, but in a way that I really like. It, I don't know. You got to, and you got to read the issues in order. Do not uh, skip around if you decide to read this. I loved it. It's certainly one that has like a, a lineage from, in terms of style and everything from like Marvel comics and, and whatnot, yeah. um, superhero comics, but then taking it to this edgy, gritty place and some of the, the humor in there is pretty, you know, what we would consider non-politically correct anymore. Like, there's a lot of, like, this is one thing that I kind of wanted to mention specifically. Like, rape is referenced a lot, mm-hmm. for example. So if that disturbs you, definitely don't read it. But what they're really doing is highlighting and taking a lot of care to actually tell the story of, like, to put uh, sexual right yeah, sexual abuse. And, like, there's some serious bits about that. But it's, it's there to kind of um, emphasize, like power and dominance that comes along with particular issue of right. sexual well, how, how like, it, yeah how it's violence. used to assert uh, that power because it's all about power mm-hmm. it's about politics and even though we're talking about this particular issue which should be highlighted for people particularly if you're sensitive to it don't read this you it, it might it might annoy you or upset you but uh, it is great it is a great uh, novel and it is really more political than it that's just a piece of and a small, I, I thought kind of a small, smaller piece. Do you think it's I think it's prevalent? actually a thread that runs through the okay. whole thing. Because there's, yeah, there are like those episodes that actually deal. And of course, in real life too, sex and politics are very they are yeah. intertwined or like um they're hot button yeah. for each other. But yeah, I, I thought that was important to mention because I that's something that my brain hit on right away. And normally I will, I, will, I, and I certainly did pick it up on... Um, I, I guess I was so focused on the cat with two faces <laughs> who smokes cigarettes out of both face, out of both the faces that I just kind of like, I was just more focused on that. Oh, totally. <laughs> yeah. I was watching it. I was ready for it to be, for me to be turned off and be kind of like, oh, not really treating your subject matter that great. This is a, a book for, you know, an edgy teen boy to read or something. But it, so I was watching that the whole time and I think it actually carries it off very well because even though it's silly and it's brash and it's really raunchy, what, raunchy uh, there's a, a deeply sophisticated um, and careful and like morally good. Or um, underpinning un- to it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Be- and I guess we should talk a little bit. I'll give you a few details about the book. Um, the main character's name is Spider Jerusalem. Right there you had me. <laughs> Spider Jerusalem. And he's a, a, a journalist. So he is the hero slash anti-hero of this piece his behavior is totally anti-hero he he's a he drinks and he uh, and if if drug taking also um is a trigger point for you don't don't read this one he takes drugs but he's a journalist and he's out there and he's like the, the mondo journalist it's like they took <laughs> he hunter can do f, anything hunter <laughs> f, f, x t, f what is it? S. S. Thompson mixed with what? Uh, um, An Bruce, action hero. Bruce Willis of Die Hard or something like yeah. that, you know? And he's... And some extra anarchy in there. Oh, good yeah. Measure. And, and he's and he's gross and, and uh, there's, there's peeing jokes and there's all kinds of stuff. And he's got this cat and the cat has two faces <laughs> and the cat smokes... Out of two, and, you know, and I think that's hilarious. In fact, I want to get a tattoo of that cat hat. Oh, we're gonna cat. get one. <laughs> Zoe and I are gonna get the, get a, a another tattoo, another cat tattoo. I, I just realized yeah. that. Both uh, from books. If you haven't, uh, if you didn't listen to what should I read next, we did talk about our matching tattoos. I don't think we've talked about them before. Yeah. Uh, we have. Uh, if anybody have read the Fire Cat by Esther Averill, which was published like in mid 1950s, and I would re- I read this when I was a child, and then I read it to Zoe, and there's 
Pickles, the fire cat, a cat who wants to be part of the fire department and be a firefighter. And we have, on our calves, we have matching tattoos of Pickles. On the pole with the fire hat. Yeah, exactly. Cute. Anyway, so we're going to get another cat tattoo of a two-faced cat with cigarettes, smoking cigarettes. <laughs> the, the really innocent, sort of <laughs> sweet know, and good, and then the really <laughs> abrasive, uh, <laughs> terrible, kind of grotesque. But I, anyway, I love Spider Jerusalem so much. And the reason, I think the reason I love him is that particularly the time I was reading it, I really, really hated my job so much. I don't hate it so much anymore. It's gotten better. But at the time, it's like, oh, God. And he's there hating his job. Mm-hmm. And he's hating the world. And, and there's this one picture of him. And he's a, this bald guy who wears these glasses. One is a red circle and the other is a green rectangle. And these are his glasses. And he's sitting there with, with a newspaper. And the newspaper says, I hate it here. <laughs> <laughs> There's just so much about it that makes me laugh because it's so very over the cathartic. top. Oh, it is. It is. It's very cathartic. Anyway, Spider is going around and he's got this goal. He hates the dirtiness of politics and he's after these dirty politicians to bring them down. And so there's all kinds of action and, and it's, it's an unreal world. And it really does speak to the queer world, I think. The fact that there are all these people who are in transition, but it's people who are human fluid. You know, they're kind of human, but then they're taking, they're, they're grafting on aspects of other beings and other types of things and shifting their bodies in, 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 in ways that make them really different. I thought that that was a great analogy for our shifting perceptions of our own humanity that are, that are happening now. Totally. That's one of the best things about particular graphic novels because you can draw anything pretty much that you yeah. can imagine. Right. Um, but the the sci-fi ability to be like like a be a metaphorical being yeah in a way yeah yeah to explore themes through like even the human bodies in the graphic novels right. and but this is not a, just a conceptual uh piece it is great adventure mm-hmm. funny and there are two female um spider has two female assistants who are so badass and so they are just as raunchy and as funny and bold and brave as he is you know and they are as dedicated to this mission as he is too and he just treat them kind of like like the overlord but then they kind of kick back and it's a great it's a great interaction mm-hmm. I, I i enjoyed it i was i was good with it i enjoyed it a lot too and that, that was another thing i was keeping my eye on i was like you gonna be weird misogynistic spider and yeah, yeah. He, he totally kind of is, but but not really. It is it isn't really misogyny as much as much as misanthropy because mm-hmm. he just doesn't really like anybody, <laughs> and he, he thinks he, you know he puts everybody down. So it works pretty well. But then again, of course, the thing that they interweave into the the stories, which of course is your indicator that he's really deep down a good person, is that he's he's tender and kind toward children. Right. Yeah. He's protective and tender to children. So, you know, to, to, the, to the most vulnerable and weak. So he really is like a knight. A knight who smokes cigarettes and pees on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> Shall we t- should we tell the story about the skirt? Oh, yeah, totally. I came home one night at uh, <laughs> like 8 p.m. or something. And this is before I had read this book, uh, book and Zoe hadn't read it yet. I hadn't so read it at all. But she'd been gushing about it a little bit. And she's like, Zoe! I'm tipsy. I bought you a skirt. And I'm like, what? What do you mean? It's like, I've been on redbubble.com. I bought you a Spider Jerusalem skirt. <laughs> and it's his face. And he does have a very big face with these glasses and a cigarette. Yeah. <laughs> so I wore it to the art gallery and the guy who was like letting people through with tickets was like, oh, Spider Jerusalem. And I know. Like, yeah. <laughs> and I, I got a Spider Jerusalem. I got a bag and somebody stopped me on the bus and says, oh, Trans Metropolitan. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a really underrated comic. And I said, I, I, I know. It's so great. <laughs> with all those caveats that we had to make. We, we do recommend this. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Just to anyone who's ready to take on that, the, you know, the sort of abrasive elements of it or the edgy elements or the whatever. And um, if I would say one was number one for me, this would be number one. Yeah. Of, of, for my enjoyment. and It was really good. I felt it was rollicking. It really took me along. Yeah. Um, and it's amazing, too. It's just the core of the story is this, like, presidential election and how he's covering it and everything. And it's just still true. So anyway, I'm going to go on to my next one. And I don't Great. think you've read this one, have you? It's Lena Finkel's Magic Barrel. Did no, you read I that? I like that. It's uh, by uh, Anya Olnick. 
and it was published in 2014. And basically, it's this is one of the memoir ones. It's basically kind of a memoir of her life in New York. Her 15-year marriage breaks up, and she basically is trying to go on with her life. And she has all these like really weird dates that she goes on, and there's uh, all kinds of... And it's very poignant as she meets uh, men who are very broken, and she ends up having a relationship with one guy who's from a very, very rich family, but he himself kind of lives in poverty and um, is very emotionally broken, but uh, she very very much connects with him and has a lot of sympathy. And I don't know, it's just really kind of a slice of life full of uh, individual personal incidents that uh, I enjoyed very much. So I do recommend for memoir, it's realistic, the drawing is fine, it's good but it's not like aesthetically uh, a wow for me and I think that probably someone who's maybe older closer to the age of this woman would enjoy it more um, as an insight to that and then the next one and I don't think you've read this one either is The Thrilling Adventures of Loveless and Babbage the mostly true story of the first computer and it's by Sidney Padua and it came out in 2015 and I enjoyed that very much. And uh, probably everybody in the world knows this now, but I'll say it anyway, is Ada Lovelace was probably the f- person who wrote the first software, the uh, first algorithm. And uh, mathematically, she was a, I don't know, I'll say mathematical genius, but she was a mathematician and also the daughter of Lord Byron. Oh, let's put it this way. She didn't have very good fathering if Lord Byron was her father. And uh, Charles Babbage was the guy who designed never got built, uh, the first hardware for a computer. The steampunk the computer. Ste- yeah. That a lot of um, a lot of science fiction writers have uh, said, well, what if it had been built? I tried to read The Difference Machine, but I couldn't. Maybe I'll get back to it sometime. Yeah. I like The Difference Engine. Engine, yeah. yeah. The Difference Engine. I really, I, I liked that. The first time I read it, I liked it a lot. The second time I read it, I enjoyed it. I could see the flaws in it easy, more easily the second time through, but it's a thick book, The Difference Engine. I do recommend it, though. I liked it. It's a, Again, it is a steampunk what-if uh, the computer actually had been invented and how would it have affected crime fighting and investigation and that kind of stuff if there actually was a computer. And, I yeah, I enjoyed it. All right, let's go back to the comic book, though. What do you like about the comic? <laughs> oh, I like about the comic. Again, the drawing doesn't, doesn't throw me. It's fine. I did like, I think there was a wittiness about the way the information is given because it is like a, a, a an essay on history and it is giving you a lot of historical fact about um, what they did, what these algorithms and this computer was and what happened at the time. And then, of course, it does fictionalize a lot of the dialogue and, and, and so forth. And so I just enjoyed the story of their collaboration, the story. They did talk quite a bit about Ada Lovelace's childhood and how her mother, uh, how um, Ada was basically threatened away from poetry and writing because that's Byron. And her, her father left uh, the mother within a year of their marriage. It was pretty disastrous because the mother was religious and rather strict. And, of course, Lord Byron was one of the most louche, uh, lascivious, lewd people in the world. Did you know that uh, Lady Carolyn Lamb said about him, he's bad, mad, and dangerous to know. Oh, okay. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. So that phrase is about Lord Byron. Anyway, so I, I just enjoyed the, the information in the story. It's not deeply moving or anything like that, but it's interesting. And there is quite a bit of text in it. So there's uh, this, the comic strip format, and then there'll be a page where there'll be like a, a block with just informational text and a lot of footnotes. Oh, you know, footnotes. I enjoy me a yeah. footnote. Love me a footnote. Okay, I recommend that one. And then... Have you read The New Adventures of Abraham Lincoln by Scott McCloud? Nope. 1998? I do know Scott McCloud, though. He's very famous. Yeah, okay. He I did. think he wrote the seminal text on theory about graphic novels, oh, okay. basically. Okay. Well, this one's fun. It's uh, He did it in 1998, and it's about a Lincoln doppelganger who comes back. He's the evil a oh. twin of Lincoln. And he comes back to wreak havoc on the world, and he's going to get elected, and and he's going to be do all kinds of nefarious things. And so then the other Lincoln has to come in, and there's a <laughs> battle of Lincolns, and uh, it's it's entertaining. It's just one thin volume. It isn't like say Transmetropolitan, which is like eight large volumes. It's just like one 
thin comic book. And I enjoyed it a lot. It's, it's very fun. And I love me some Lincoln. Now, I put, you, I know you just read this one because I gave it to you. It's Private Eye by Brian K. Vaughn. Yeah, Brian K. Vaughn. Probably people are pretty, if you read any graphic novels, you're familiar with Saga or some of his other series, Why the Last Man. Private Eye is a one-off. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, and I don't know if it's, I don't know, it, may, it might have been a number of issues that were collected, but it's one collected volume. And it's a noir, kind of a, a future noir I would say it's just multicultural futurism. Okay. Like, uh, because, I mean, it's set in L.A. and it's very right. American. But, um, but yeah, it's very multicultural, which is cool to see. Right. And the, and the, lead, the lead character is a young African-American uh, man who is the, the kind of noir private eye in a way. He's not too hard-boiled. But he is, uh, he's kind of in that milieu and he's, he's investigating and he's going undercover and he's trying to... Got connections. Yeah. yeah. And it's a, in a world where the internet has been shut down for like 50 years because it was so destructive that they passed laws that prevented the internet from existing. And it's funny because the lead character's grandfather, he was a young man when the internet was in full for full force so he can't let go of it yeah he's always trying to get online <laughs> he can't <laughs> and he knows how to use the uh, ipads and zooms and stuff. Yeah. it's pretty funny it is it was it's a no- good conceit <laughs> nobody knows that anymore it's very, it is very funny and so it it takes there's a there's some sort of plot going on and there's uh all kinds of really crazy characters because nobody appears as who they are. Nobody goes out under their own identity. And so there are ways they can use holograms and various even uh, maybe surgical techniques or whatever to change their appearance. So you know, somebody might walk in with the head of a tiger or you know, there are all these lizards walking around. And they're all people, so they're not actual animal characters, but they're people who have put on all kinds of personalities and costumes and so right. forth. The title of the book, I realize, is like a double entendre, mm-hmm. right? Because it's He's the private eye, but also the private eye is like the theme of the book is like everyone's keeping themselves private, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah, yeah. So it's it's a it's a delight, especially if you like that old that old forties noir. It's a uh, definitely referential to that and and quite enjoyable. And and I did like the character. He is if you want to compare him to Spider Jerusalem, he's definitely the the good son. Yeah, <laughs> pretty sweet nice, smart, you know, a sane kind of guy. Yeah. But but adventurous. So that was very enjoyable. And then the, well, I wanted to mention Black Sad, which I just read. Um, Black Sad is a, it's a collection. It has three stories in the collection. And I, I love the graphic of it. It uh, all seems to take place in the 30s and 40s kind of style. Again, we've got the noir hero, the he's a private eye. And all of the characters are animals, kind of like a mouse reference, and, and the main private eye is a cat. And the three different stories really sort of look at different social ills. One is about racism. Uh, another one is about sexual abuse and, and power there. But it's done in an, a light enough way that it isn't overpoweringly depressing or anything like that. And, um, and this, the lead in it, Black Sad, is he's a hero. A guy who comes in there and sweeps in and, you know, helps people so yeah that was enjoyable and it's not really on my list but I thought I should mention it because I did like it and then finally the last one that I know we both read these because you recommended to me is Lock and Key by Joe Hill Joe Hill who is the son of Stephen King oh right okay which and you can feel that yeah there's definitely that creepiness and kind of to me almost to the edge of nasty yeah in a way that I didn't go over the edge. I was okay reading it, but it's like, oh, it's kind of nasty. And it's about a family that moves into a gothic mansion that's part of their family history. And this mansion, of course, is haunted and has all sorts of spells. And it's very magical. And keys that unlock different things and make the world have different rules and stuff like that. Yeah. And so the evil forces are trying to take over the world of light. And uh, these people are... Sort of their house and their family are the battleground where this happens. Yeah, and the main characters are siblings, young siblings, and they just made a Netflix series about it, so a lot more people are going to be aware of it now. Right. And um, we, we have I watched the first episode. You haven't seen any yet. I'll, I'll save it so we can watch it together. Thanks. Sorry. And it's beautiful. It, the visuals are beautiful, and it really, really tracks 
the graphic novels. So Okay. One of the things I really liked about it is that it really has it's both adventure and horror. It really has that straight element of like a Nardian kind of like yeah. young siblings, adventure and everything, but then it really mashes it together with some real brutality. Yeah. And I, I like that. Yeah. I don't care for Stephen King's writing, but I think his plotting, and this is not Stephen King, so I'm not forgetting that, but his story ideas are, are usually fantastic. And I feel that same way with Joe Hill, where his ideas and the concepts are great. And I generally don't like his writing. I don't find it to be uh, substantial enough or apt enough, able enough. But this was a great, I thought, venue for Joe Hill to bring this cool idea and these cool imagery together and and then have, he worked with uh, an artist named uh, Gabriel Rodriguez who does a terrific job. He's a really, really uh, visualizes this world. It's beautiful. The drawings are beautiful and they are effective. I think that uh, the two of them together actualize Joe Hill's ideas to a, to a very high level. I definitely like this one. I don't think I would have liked it as well if it had just been a novel he'd written. And I do want to go back, and, and that is one of the things that I that speak to me and draw me in, and I think is part of the true artistry of graphic novels, is the way in which the panels are set up and the dialogue and images flow on the page. Because like, say, Mouse, for example, for the most part, Mouse is a linear strip. So you have no problem. You're just tracking, like reading a book left to right and down the page. But a lot of these novels, they don't. The images can be non-linear on the page. And I can tell when somebody is really a great graphic artist is, I don't have any trouble knowing what I'm supposed to look at next with my eye. They really lead my eye through just the do images. do the shoots and ladders, yeah. Right, and you just go right down and you... Uh, because there have been times when I've read... I've read something and I go, I'm, wait a minute, what's happening? And I have to go back and I have to look for, oh, I should have read this next. Now that this makes this make sense. I've looked at some where I'm like, okay, it doesn't happen too much. But I think the ones that I quit on are the ones where I feel like I have to work so hard. Um, there's one you recommended to me recently, the one about the, like the Creature Black Lagoon one. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think it's called Dear Creature, and I'm not yeah. sure who the author is, but it'll be in the notes. Yeah, Dear Creature. And I think that's one of the things I didn't like about it. I didn't find the flow mm. um, to be as adept as they are in some of the other ones. And and sometimes when it's really complicated throughout the page, and I make it through with just without having to backtrack or whatever, I'll notice it and I'll go at the end of the page and I'll go, wow. And I'll feel a, a sense of real appreciation for that artist. Totally. Because that's really the artist thing, not the writer's part. Okay, uh, Lock and Key, totally recommend it. Really fun. I think um, the part of Lock and Key's pedigree is probably one that I've got to throw out there, which is Sandman by Neil Gaiman, which is another huge classic. And that was probably the first series of graphic novels that I read that really got me into non-Japanese graphic novels. There's another one that I always thought of as a graphic novel, and really it isn't uh, when I read the definition and get it. But back in the early 90s, I thought, oh, this is a graphic novel. It wasn't. It's King Kong by Anthony Brown. Hmm. And he took a version. He Basically, he just illustrated the film script so it's basically it just follows the film i think i had that as a kid you did and we don't have it anymore because there was that time when i didn't have any money and i had to sell a bunch of stuff and yeah. your books were part of it which made me so sad because i was gonna go look look for it because i really liked uh, that one because the Faye ray character he depicted her as marilyn monroe oh okay yeah neat so it was really neat and mm. it was a very very nice but but it isn't in a strip form it's in a picture book form so i wanted to mention that because I, I really like that one cool it's what it's probably the one book that started me going, okay, maybe I'll be open to these graphic novel things. Well, thank you guys so much for joining us on Foibles. We'd like to hear your recommendations. If you have any graphic novels you love or you want to recommend to us, please feel free to send it to us at foiblespodcast at gmail.com, and we definitely would like to hear if there's any other good ones out there that we should be looking at. Thanks, everybody. Have a great day. Bye. Great!